You are listening to a live broadcast from Faith Worship Center in Portia, Arkansas. Acts chapter 26, starting in verse number 24. So difficult because we're cutting at the very end of this story. Uh, but the, the heart of my text is going to be here. And so uh, we'll recap just a little bit. But we're going to start Acts chapter 26, starting verse number 24, and read down only to verse number 30, I believe. The Bible says, and as he thus spoke for himself, talking about the Apostle Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. And he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knows, watch this, for the king knows of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, Paul changes his attention to King Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And King, then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these bonds. And we back up to the words of King Agrippa, verse 28. Agrippa said to Paul, Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What a sad and devastating place to be. But I want to minister to you, maybe one of the most simplest messages I've ever preached, but I want to minister for just a moment using that thought. And I'm going to also use for relation, I'm going to use some testimonies this morning. So forgive me if I don't go too deep into the text, but I, I feel I'd be wrong if I did anything else. But we'll use this for a thought. Almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. What a sad place to be. Will you bow your head and will you help me pray? Father, I love you this morning. I thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy and love. And I thank you for the opportunity one more time, God, to preach your already, your anointed word. God, I'm asking this morning as we begin the task that is before us for you to let our ears be open to properly hear, our hearts open to receive. And Lord, anoint me to rightly divide this great word of truth. And Lord, this morning, I'm going to be as Paul. I would not that just one, but that all. God, would be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's your will, God, and that is our mission this morning. So I pray that you would move upon every single heart, and we'll be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and honor in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen. I will say this morning, Sister Becky, unable to be here this morning, got up not feeling well. She felt well enough to call me and make sure I didn't forget anything. But she did not feel well this morning. But uh, uh, please keep her in your prayers. Lord willing, she be with us this evening. There will never be a greater mission for the church than to offer the world the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And I don't say that lightly, and I'm not trying to rush it through it, but we see that the church as a whole has jumped on to many different missions and many different works, and not that none of them are wrong or are out of line, but we need to understand that our focus will always be to continue to offer biblical salvation through what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. The lost must remain our number one goal, and if we lose sight 
of this, of somebody that may not know Jesus Christ, then as a church, we have lost our way. We're spinning our wheels. We're here for no purpose except for maybe a social gathering or maybe we like fellowship. But if we ever lose focus of somebody that may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, then we have, as a whole, we have lost our way. I try when I meet with my ministry team, when those that uh, continue that we work together uh, in regards to making everything go around and flow as it does for Faith Worship Center, whether it is the, the little kids, teachers, or the praise and worship team, or these guys that are sitting on the platform, you need a, something that a lot of people don't understand. Ministry sometimes uh, is hard. Sometimes ministry is difficult. Dealing with people sometimes, I'm just being blunt, so dealing with people sometimes sometimes is hard, it's difficult, it's hurtful. And I try every time we meet to remind them that you must keep your focus on souls. We're not here just for the people. We're not here just for acknowledgement. We're not here just for the pat on the back. We're here because somebody that may listen to us or hear us, they may not know who Jesus Christ is as their Savior. They may be headed straight to a devil's hell. And that's why we're here. We're here to be a voice that is crying in the wilderness to let God flow through to prick that heart that way soul that God has not yet reached so that they may come to understand the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. The Bible has commissioned the believer, the church, uh, to work while there is a day because there's a night coming that no man will work. He's told us to go into all of the world and preach the gospel in all nations. Uh, and that is a mission of ours. We're to follow the example of Jesus Christ and seek out those that are lost and undone. To go into the highway into the hedges uh, and reach those that don't know Jesus and as a church uh, and an individual believer this is still our mission today listen to me believer you don't have a greater calling you may not never stand here and preach you may never sing a song uh, but you've got a calling that is great uh, because you are here to be a voice to tell somebody about the love of Jesus Christ amen that commission falls upon all of us. I go even to Pentecost. I'm thankful for my Pentecost experience. I know that many have casted stones and the church as a whole has made it something out that it's supposed to never be in. But if you look at the effects of Pentecost, you will learn that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. Another time, Peter stood up and preached, 5,000 were saved. I want you to know this morning that we can't consider ourselves the church and throw out the idea of the infilling of the Spirit. Uh, we've got to be soul-minded. Uh, and if we're soul-minded, uh, we'll reach for the fullness of God and let God do what God wants to do through us and in us so He can reach somebody that is lost and undone. Amen. It's about souls. Nothing I'd rather hear about. Nothing I'd rather read. I, and I want you to know this morning, I'm not a big reader. I read very few books. If I don't know the author, I'm probably not going to read it. If I can't do a little research, I'm probably not going to read it anyway. But when I begin to look at a book that gives me the testimony, or sit down and talk to somebody, and they want to share their testimony of the day that they were born again, hey, you got my attention. Hey, you got my attention. I want to hear about this great miracle that happened in your life. 
Nothing that I would rather hear or read about than the born again experience. And I, I read, I've got a book and it's a little, it's a little thin book. It's my kind of book. It's real thin. Don't take long to, to read that kind of book. And, and so if it's a, it's a little thin book and I, I begin to read and it's a bunch of different true accounts and short stories about some of the greatest, most influential evangelists all the way back to the early years, the early 1800s, uh, uh, that, that how that they were born again and how that they come to know Jesus Christ. And I don't do this often, but I, and I promise I'll travel back to the text. But there's some things that really begin to pull at my heart this week. And I, I begin to read and refresh myself one more time. There was a man by the name of, I'm going to call him Mr. Judson because I really don't know how to pronounce his first name, but Judson was his last name. He lived in the early 1800s and he went to a college in Providence. His father was a pastor of a church. In fact, he was an only child raised with his mom and with his dad. He was raised up in a Christian home, a godly home. And he was a very intelligent young man. And they sent him off to college in Providence. And they had high hopes for their young son, uh, Mr. Judson. He went and there he was uh, just trying to make friends. And he made a friend with a boy by the name of Jacob Eads. Uh, and Jacob Eads and Mr. Judson, they, they become really, really close friends. They roomed together and they shared thoughts on some of the things as, as they begin to bond there at the college at Providence. They had come to the place where Jacob Eads was not a good influence. See, it matters who your children are friends with. Jacob Eads began to tell uh, uh, Mr. Judson. Judson was sharing how that he grew up in church and his mom and dad was a pastor of a church and he began to share it with him. And one day Jacob throwed upon him this truth. He said, I don't believe that the God of the Bible is a one true God. And Judson said, why not? I believe the God of the Koran, the God of all of these others is all the same and because of that, I don't go to church. And I, I, in fact, I have become an atheist. Well, living together in that dorm, he become a great influence because, let me tell you something, you may not see it, but there's a spirit that gets behind that kind of talk and that kind of teaching, and it began to get a hold of Mr. Judson. Mr. Judson went home and he had come to the, uh, he had come to the knowledge that he himself also did not believe that God was the only God, that there were many gods. And in fact, he said, I'm not even going to believe in a God because there's so many gods. I'll leave it alone and I'll just lay it aside. His mom and dad, they brought him right back into the church, put him right back on the platform. And Judson himself, as a true account, will tell you, I played the part of the hypocrite, played along for my mom and my dad. But one day come, it became too much. And he just told his dad, I'm going to New York to be a writer. He said, son, I thought maybe you would go and be a minister at a young age. I felt there was a calling on your, on your life. And he said, well, while y'all's together, there's something I want you to know. I don't even believe in God no more. Broke his mom's heart. Broke his dad's heart. He said, I'm going to New York. And there, I'm going to study to be a writer. He got to New York. He looked around for a place to stay. He come to a little hotel and the keeper of the hotel said this. He said, I've only got one room, but I don't know if you want to stay in it. He said, why not? He said, well, there's an individual that is in the room next to you and he's grew very, very, very ill. We don't know if he'll make it through the night and you, uh, it may be very disturbing for you to stay in that room. He said, I'll take it. It's the only thing I can find. So Judson went up to that room 
And his account says this, I heard the awfulest groaning. I heard the awfulest moaning. I heard some of the worst sounds. In fact, Larry, it tarried all night long. And finally, early hours in the morning, everything went dead. And they said, I was finally to get able to get just a little bit of sleep. But he said, I began thinking in my own mind, whatever happened to that person next to me, it was the most horrible thing I've ever heard in my life. He went down to the man that was there, the keeper of the desk. He said, I want to ask you, what happened to the man or the person, the man that was next to me? He said, he's dead. He said, he's dead? He said, yeah, he died. He said, that's one of the most awfulest deaths. He said, I've been with my dad several times, and I've watched people enter into eternity, and they've done it peaceful. He said, this man didn't enter peacefully. He said, yeah. He said, you know who he was? He said, well, I've got his name, but he was a, a student from Providence. He said, what's his name? He looked it up. He said, he was a young man by the name of Jacob Eads. And young Judson, knowing this was his friend, said, I don't want to die like Jacob Eads. Went back to his parents' house repented of, of all of his sins, told him what would happen, gave his heart and life to the Lord, and went on to be used greatly in the, evangel, uh, in the evangelistic field, and many were saved under his ministry. Powerful testimony. I begin to read, and i got to tell you another one. There was a man, uh, I'm sorry if I bore you with these, but they're not boring to me, so just buckle up and ride along with me for a moment. There's a young man by the name of Charles Finney. Charles Finney, again, I'm reading in uh, accounts of 1800s, Charles Finney at the age of 16 far excelled most of the people that were around him with his knowledge. Uh, he was a brilliant young man. He was brilliant. The things he knew, they said you shouldn't even know them things. Well, them things hadn't even been taught to you. But he went on and being a very brilliant young man. He went into law school and when he got into law school, he excelled in law greater than most of the lawyers that succeeded him. Uh, he was very, very intelligent. Knew things about the law that they would have to go back and look up because they had just been forgotten. Very intelligent. Charles Finney was so intelligent. There were people that knew him that would say, I tell you what, the church would try to witness and they would come back and they would say, tell you what, if you can convert Charles Finney, I will come to your church and give my heart to, to Jesus. If you can convert him. One day, a preacher came by and he began to talk to Charles Finney. Like many other preachers, they left his presence being under shame because he was so intelligent that he could embarrass them. But one day a preacher came by. He said, Charles, I got something for you. Brought him a Bible. He said, here you go. He laid it down. Charles said, why would I read that? He said, you're a student of the law. He said, what's that got to do with law? He said, Old Testament is full of laws. And the New Testament will tell you how Jesus Christ fulfilled all them laws. He said, are you a student of the law or not? He said, yeah, I'm a student of the law. He said, well, I'll leave it with you. So he walked out of his room. Charles Finney, with his mind made up, he said this. In his own mind, he said, oh, I'm going to study this Bible. I'm going to look into it very deeply. And the next time that preacher comes knocking at my door, whatever I got going on, I'm going to cancel it so I can show him exactly why he is wrong. 
He got into the Word of God. Man, I feel the presence. I'm liking this more than you are. He got into the Word of God and he began to read it. And he began to study it. And as he began to read, he went from the old law and from the old law and he's flipping to the New Testament. He'd go back to the old law. He'd flip and look at Jesus. He'd go back to the old covenant. He'd look at the, what Jesus had done. He was studying and writing down what the prophet said and he looked at what Jesus had done. And he came to the conclusion. In fact, and we preach it. He came came to the conclusion that when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and cried, it is finished. He said the law was finished in one man, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. History says this. He didn't want anybody seeing because he's embarrassed. We get all of us let a little pride or, no we don't. We let a lot of pride get in our way. I don't want nobody to see me. He was so embarrassed, he took a handkerchief, went over to the key lock of his door, shoved it full so nobody could even look in the keyhole to see him. And he went behind his desk and he began to weep and he began, see, the Bible is a living word. It's a living word. He didn't want anybody to see him and he began to cry out to the Lord. He got so broken that he began to peek out the door to make sure nobody was there. And when nobody was there, he made a run for it. Bible, the, the, the testimony says there was a patch of woods next to his office. He went as far in them woods as what he could get to get away from people. Fell on his knees and said, my God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. He said the power of God moved upon him in a way when he got back to his office he just couldn't shake it he said God I want everything that you have for me and the Lord filled him with the power of the Holy Ghost here's a man just a few moments ago not a believer saved filled with the Holy Ghost and a desire to tell everybody around him about Jesus Bible or the, the testimony goes on to tell about Charles Finney how that he was uh, that he that he stood out for wisdom, but the wisdom of the Bible had begun to grip his heart, and literally there were thousands of souls that were accredited to him because he gave his heart and life to the Lord. And in 1854, on January the sixth, there was a young man made his way down a road, and this is his story: a young man that you've, if you've studied, if you've read any biblical books, you know his name. His name is Charles Spurgeon. He made his way down trying to get home. And the blizzard was so bad he just couldn't make it. He looked for somewhere to get and warm up. And he seen there was an old church that was open. He thought, well, them people are in there and they don't have a coat on. Surely it's warm. So he walked in the back of that church and he sat down. He tells his testimony like this. I went for six months trying to find so a church somewhere that would tell me about Jesus and how to be saved. Now think about that. For six months, he says, I went to every single church in town but this one. And for six months, not a single one of them told him about Jesus. God help us. God help us. If we're not telling people about Jesus, our doors need to be closed. I'm preaching good. Amen. He went for six months, finally come to the back of this church, he's a, and he sat down, and he's warming up. They sung a few songs, and then there was a man that got up from the side. He walked up, and he simply said this, well, 
It was too cold and too uh, too snowy today for the preacher to make it in. So I'm going to share with you a scripture that's on my heart, and y'all just going to have to put up with me. He turned to this scripture in Isaiah chapter number 45, and he read this one scripture. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And he got up there and he said, I want this church to know, and even you young man that came in the back door, I want you to know this morning that we can look a lot of places in this world. We can look to the beggarly elements of this world. We can look to the things that is a bondage of this world. We can look for anything and everything, and the world will offer you a little bit of comfort for a little while. He said, but everything the world offers you, it'll turn on you eventually, and you will find that you are further in sin than what you want to be. He said, I'm just going to ask y'all to do one thing with me. Quit looking to the church. Quit looking just to a preacher and look to Jesus Christ. And then he went to his crucifixion. He said, I want you to look. And he began to read. Look how he was crowned with thorns. Look how he took the stripes on his back. Look how he was cursed. Look how he was mocked. Look how he was crucified. But I also want you to look at the fact that he never quit. He never stopped. He went through with giving his life for you so that you could be saved and he looked at young Charles Spurgeon he said young man look 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 to Jesus I feel you got questions and I'm telling you to look and Charles Spurgeon said that's it he made his way to an altar he cried out to God and God received him he was saved at that moment born again by the power of God hallelujah And history says, literally, later on, Charles Spurgeon stood up in front of 20,000 something people, 23,000 some odd people preaching the gospel, built a church that would seat 5,500 because somebody who wasn't even supposed to speak that night, stood up and said, I just want to take you to Isaiah and tell you to look to Jesus. And the power, my Lord, the power of God gripped his heart and he found himself falling out, crying out to the Lord. In this congregation this morning, I could walk you around this building. No, I don't know everybody's testimony. I could walk you around this building and point you out people uh, that God has met on a jail in a jail cell floor, uh, that God has met in their truck, uh, that God has met in a hospital, that God has met in their home. Uh, I can tell you of people around uh, all around this building this morning uh, that will stand up and testify and tell you this, uh, just like Charles Spurgeon, uh, they thought their sin had gone too far. Uh, They thought the mercy of God was not great enough uh, to wash away their sin uh, and that person would tell you oh I was wrong Uh, the mercy of God was great Uh, the grace of God is sufficient uh, and God is mighty to save uh, to whosoever will call upon him you see God is not willing listen he's not willing that any would perish in other words it's not God's will that one individual perish but that all would come to repentance. (laughs) Try to find some notes here. Give me just a second. Spurgeon become one of the most influential ministers of that day. And is still read about because he gave his life to the Lord. I'm trying to get a point across. I want you to know this morning that there's nothing greater, nothing more powerful than the born-again experience. We as a church have found out this. 
we found that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you have done, <laughs> that anybody and everybody can be set free from the bondage of sin if they will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we found. In our text, and I'll be brief this morning, Agrippa here is actually Agrippa II. I, just a couple of things I want you to know. He comes from a long line of what they would call the Herods. Herod, you read about even the day of Jesus when Herod was looking for Jesus to kill him at birth. Herod's has gone down. In fact, this is Herod Agrippa. His father was Herod Agrippa I. He's Herod Agrippa II. Comes from a long line of how that they would recognize them, the Herod's. Probably his grandfather it was that went with Pilate when Jesus was brought before him on the court. And the only reason that he went was because he wanted to see a miracle. He didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't serve Jesus. Oh, but he knew that if you were around Jesus very long at all, you were about to witness a miracle. Herod said, Pilate, I'm going to go with you. Made his way up with him, and there he sat. He was just there for a show because they knew that Jesus was able. Festus would bring him to King Agrippa II that we read about, who was a Herod. Paul said to him and asked him this. He was being very respectful. He's sitting there in bonds. He's locked up. He said, King Agrippa, may I speak freely? He said, yes, you may speak freely. He said, I, as a scholar, I'm paraphrasing of the law. I'm a zealous of the law. You know that I am a Pharisee. I'm persecuted as a Pharisee, but I was of the tribe of Benjamin. You know my raising. Watch this. He's talking to King Agrippa as we ought to talk. Just get, just be plain. He said, you, you know my raising. Yeah, I know. He said, well, the big argument here is this. Everybody wants to argue about one that resurrected from the dead I'm preaching that Jesus resurrected after he was crucified and now they want to persecute me Agrippa he said Agrippa I was on my way to Damascus with papers in my hand I had a legal right to drag them out of their house if they claimed to be a Christian and I could persecute them you know this Agrippa yes Paul continue on he said but on my way my Lord on my way there was a great light that shined down on me. Those that were with me fell aside. They fell to the ground. I was blinded. And I turned and I said, what is it? And, he, and all of a sudden a voice came and said, Saul, Saul, why kickest thou against the pricks? He said, what will you have me to do, Lord? He said, oh, I've chosen you. I want you to, you're going to go on into Damascus. Brother Ananias is going to pray for you, and I want you to preach this gospel to the Gentile. What? The Gentile? Paul wasn't converted. I don't know where the gospel would be at with us today. So he was, had scales on his eyes. They led him by the hand. He said, watch this. He's blind. He's blind. He has no idea where he's going. He's at a place in his life when he's the most humble he's ever been. 
He's dependent upon somebody else. He knows no direction or anything. Takes him by the hand and leads him. Places him in a room. See you later. Goes on. And the Lord calls out to Ananias. Ananias. There's one by the name of Saul from Taurus. He's in a room at Damascus. I want you to go and pray for him. Ananias is thinking, Lord, do you know him? Because he's mean and he kills us. I'm a Christian. He wants to kill me. He said, you go. And he says this. For Saul, prayeth. In other words, Ananias knew by that. Saul was in a room for three days calling upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I don't know what it is you got for me. I don't know what you want me to do. But Lord, you got my attention. What is it? And all of a sudden, a man walks in. He says, Brother Saul. He calls him Brother Saul because the Lord done told him he's praying. He's calling on me. My Lord, to be there. How powerful. He walks up to his brother and he lays his hand on him and begins to pray for him. And as he's praying for him, all of a sudden, scales fell off of his eyes. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And when he got up, he said, hey, I'm going to go preach. I'm going to tell people what happened to me and about this Jesus that is still alive today. Festus says, Saul, much learning has made you mad. In other words, you're crazy. You hush up. And here's where we're at. And this is where I want to be. He got to Agrippa. He turns his attention from Festus. Watch this. He turns his attention from Festus. Festus is trying to talk to him. He shuts him out. Turns his attention right here to Agrippa. I don't even want to hear what you got to say, Festus. Turns his attention back to Agrippa who was higher in leadership. And he says, Agrippa, do you believe the law and the prophets? King Agrippa He's sitting there with his wife who was his sister and also Festus. He's in between a rock and a hard spot. He can't say, oh, I believe because then they will both look at him and have him cast out. He's in the place of, will he submit to what he truly knows or will he allow pride to bring such a wall that it would cost him his soul? He says to Agrippa, I know you know. Oh, I know you know. Because Agrippa is the one that was trying to bring some harmony between the Jews and the Roman leaders. He said, look, y'all need to come together. Y'all not all that bad. You need to come together. He knew he knew. He knew what he knew. He said, Agrippa, I know that you know. I know that you know what I'm talking about. Here's something else you need to know. Whenever there was something that was a great secret that was back in that day, such as a man just rose from the dead, the leadership did whatever they could to silence it because they feared the control, losing control of the people. Agrippa was in that circle. And the apostle Paul knew it. And so he's saying, Agrippa, oh, I know you know. You were there. You know. It was your father that sent the soldiers out to guard the tomb, but they were knocked over by the power of God and there was no to nobody in the tomb. Agrippa, I know you know. I know you know. Agrippa immediately gets up, takes his wife and Festus into another room, knowing he knows. And he says, I don't really see no harm in this man. Oh yeah, I would just let him go, but he's already appealed to Caesar. He's got to stand before Caesar, but we're not going to do anything. We're going to let him go. 
And he come back and he said, Paul, leave. And Paul said, I wish I wasn't in these bonds. Agrippa says, you almost, you almost persuaded me. You almost <laughs> persuaded me. He turns around and he leaves. And Paul is taken to Rome to stand before Caesar. Now watch this. Do you know that the rule and the reign of Herod's ended with him? Because when you reject Jesus, pretty soon destruction is going to come. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just being honest. When you reject the Lord over and over, destruction, it's coming. It ended. One other thing I want to say, and I'm going to hush. One of the most powerful stories that we read about in the Bible is probably that of the prodigal son. Took his father, took his inheritance. He left, went out into the world. Found himself in the bottom of a pig pen. He said, my father's servants got it better than this. This corn husk, it don't taste good no more. I want to go home. He's going to tell his father that he was sorry. And he found that when he made his way home, sitting on the front porch, his father's watching. Because his father was expecting him to come home. He's watching. And when he seen him afar off, way, way out there, I can just picture his father gets up out of the chair, sees him, and he starts taking off running. Kill the fatty calf. Go ahead and get a robe ready. I'm going to place a ring on his finger. My son has come home. And he runs to his son. And he grabs him up. Father, don't worry about it. You're just your home where you're supposed to be. Here's the thing that we miss. Do you know that the prodigal son didn't backslide in a pig pen? He backslid when he was in his father's house. Sitting in the, his father's house where he had everything he needed. His heart began to turn to the things of the world. And he backslid, come to the place, I'll take my inheritance, I'll go on. Here's where I want to be at today. For some people, they have to hit rock bottom before they come to the Lord. Whatever, I'm going to be blunt and just say this. I wish you no harm. But whatever it takes to bring you to Jesus, I have honestly prayed Get aggravated if you want. It's not going to stop my prayer, but I pray, God, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care how far you got to take them. I do pray you don't bring no harm to them, but whatever it is, bring them to their knees where they'll crawl out on you. I'd rather you suffer a little while in this life than suffer for an eternity. So I pray whatever it takes. Some people have to hit rock bottom, but there's other people that will set in the presence of their father. Set, let me just go, let me just say it like this. 
set in a church, a good church, where the preachers are preaching salvation and the praise and worship team is, is singing and the presence of the Lord is moving. You can be in that atmosphere and come to the place that you are in the position of Agrippa. I've backed up like the prodigal son, but I'm in the place of Agrippa where, man, if I got up and made my way down to give my heart to the Lord, because everybody thinks I'm already saved, I'm preaching good. They think I'm already saved. I go through the motions. I make all the right moves. But I could be like Mr. Judson, that who openly professed, oh, I was just being a hypocrite and going through it. And this morning, I want you to know, God forbid that that would happen to you. I can preach under the anointing of the Spirit. I can give you Scripture. I can pour my heart out to you, and I will. I owe that to you, and I owe that to anybody that you bring to sit in here. You deserve my best. You deserve somebody that has been in a prayer closet somewhere this week saying, Jesus, I need you. I promise you tonight, I promise you tonight, before, because I do it as a regular, not just a pattern, but something. I'm not saying this, so you'll come later and pat me on the back because I don't need that. I promise you tonight, before I lay my head down, I'm going to say, God, give me a message for next Sunday. That will burn like fire in the hearts of your people because the ministry and the work of God is important to me. I'm not dealing with your job. I'm not dealing with your finances. We're talking about your soul and where you will spend eternity. And God forbid somebody sit in a congregation over day in, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and allow pride to push them back in a place where they're not even born again. They're not even saved. They don't even know Jesus as their Savior. You can be in your Father's house and still back side if we're not careful and allowing the word of God to edify and build up our faith in Christ. See I can bring you to the table but I can't make you eat. <laughs> and I pray this morning that if there's one here that there's one individual here that is almost almost persuaded my prayer for you has been God, not that they would be almost, but that they would be as every believer that is called upon the Lord and set free from the power of sin. And I got to say this because they're getting ready. I want you to look at me. As Paul stood before Agrippa, looking him in the eye and saying over and over because the scripture implies that he kept saying it over and over. As Paul stood and said, I know you know. I've got to leave that with you today. Because deep down in our heart, creation itself proves that God is real. I want to say this to you this morning respectfully. You may not accept Jesus into your heart this morning. You might not ask him to forgive you from whatever it is that's built a wall between you and your relationship with Him. But the truth is, you may not ever come to a table and talk to me about it, but the truth is, I know you know. I know you know. 
I know you know Jesus loves you. I know that you know that his mercy. <laughs> oh, it endureth forever. I know that you know that his grace is sufficient for your life this morning. I know you know. I know that you know the scripture that he loved you while you were yet a sinner. And I know this morning that you know that no matter what is going on in your heart, that Jesus is the answer. You may reject him. You may push him away. But it's not going to change the fact that you'll have to walk out knowing that you know that if you'll just give it to the Lord, that somehow everything is going to be all right. I know you know this morning. I can't make you come. I can't force you to come. But I know, I know, I know you know this morning. Will you stand with me right now? I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Father, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, just worship with me, saints, just for a moment. In the name of Jesus, we come to you, Lord. God, we are here, God, on the great commission of telling people about the salvation of Jesus Christ. Lord, I stand before many people this morning. I don't know their heart, but I know that you do, God. I know that they know that you love them, Lord, and that you died for them. I know that they know that you're alive today and you have no greater desire than to be in a relationship with them. Lord, this morning, I call upon you in the name of Jesus and I'm asking for the power of the Holy Ghost to move upon every single heart, Lord. My Lord, I'm praying. God, I'm praying this morning that we don't have no Agrippas that would say you almost persuaded me, but we would have some, God, Lord, that would be like the prodigal son and say, I'm just going home. I know what I've done. I know where I've been, but I'm just going to go back to the Father. God, I'm praying this morning for that today, God. Move upon every single heart, every life that is here today, Lord, and draw them. Here's my altar call with your head bowed and eye closed. I don't know maybe your situation. I don't know where your heart stands with God. Maybe you're not born again. Maybe you're not sure. I don't know this morning. But I know that you know. I know you know where you stand with God. And this morning, you're in a church surrounded by people that love you. You're in a church that's surrounded by people that wants to pray for you. That wants to continue uh, to wrap their arms around you. You've not come to a place where people are going to look at you like you're odd. They're not going to look at you like you're weird. They're going to look at you with love and compassion and say, Come on, let me pray with you this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've not accepted Him. Oh, I invite you to come this morning to an altar and let us gather around you and pray with you individually that the Lord would come into your heart. Maybe you're here and you say, I just need to ask God to forgive me of some things. I don't know what it is, but I'm inviting you to come. Don't be like Agrippa. Don't be almost persuaded. Get out from where it's the greatest battle you'll ever have. 
fighting the truth. And when, when self begins to fight the truth, and everything within you is saying no, but also everything is saying, oh, you know, you know this morning that that's what you want. I'm inviting you to come. Come on, will you step out where you're at? Make your way down to this altar and let us pray for you. Ministers, would y'all come? We'll make the first step. Believers are praying this morning. Come on, would you come? We're already up here. We're ready to pray for you. Would you come this morning? Come on, would you come this morning? Come on. Not almost persuaded, but you're going to say right now is the time. If you'll make that first step, the second one will be easier. Come on, would you come right now? Come on, come to this altar. I'm not going to quit fooling. I'm not going to hush until the Lord relieves me of it. Believers are praying right now. Believers all across this congregation, pray. Help me pray this morning. Come on, would you come? Don't be almost persuaded. Come on, would you come this morning? Would you come? Would you make your way down here and say, God, right now, this is my time. This is going to be my own personal testimony. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord and I'm going to let Him restore me this morning in relationship. Come on, would you come? Come on, would you come? Would you come this morning? Jennifer, would you help me? Come on, would you come this morning? Come on, I'm not going to quit. Right now is the perfect time. There's not a better time. Come on, would you come? People are still coming. People are still coming to call on the Lord. Come on, would you come? Come on, would you come this morning? Hallelujah. Come on, would you come? Mix right in with them. There's getting to be several up here now. Come on, would you come? Come on, let me pray with you. Oh, I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you this morning. Would you come right now? Come on, would you come? Make your way up here and let me pray with you this morning. I don't know what you got in mind. Huh? Go ahead. Come on, would you come this morning? Go ahead. You can come as you are. Come on, would you come? Come on, would you come this morning? Perfect time. Come on, believer, pray this morning. Help us pray. We're battling eternity for a soul right now. Come on, would you come this morning? Hallelujah. Almost. You don't have to be almost. You can know that you know this morning. Would you come? Come on, let me pray with you this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, go ahead. God's not mad at you. Think about the song. Come on, sing it out. Not disappointed. Hallelujah. It's greater still. Hallelujah. Come on, worship with us a moment. It's full of mercy. Ever kind. He loves you this morning. Here is invitation. Open wide. Hallelujah. Come on now. You can. Come as you are. All your broken pieces. 
Hallelujah. All your shameful scars. Hallelujah. The pain holding your heart. heart. Bring, Bring it all to Jesus. to Jesus. Come on, sing. You can come Hallelujah. as you are. Hallelujah. Of the voices. Jesus is peace this morning. He's contentment for you this morning. Hallelujah. He's rest for our soul this morning. Hallelujah. The sound of love. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, move on this congregation. Hallelujah. Come on, sing it with me this morning. How tenderly, how tenderly he calls you. His arms are open wide. Hallelujah. You can come as you are. Hallelujah. With all your broken pieces, all your shameful scars, the pain. All right. That course again, you can come Hallelujah. As you are. Come on, one more time. You can come as you, come as you are. are. Thank you, Lord, for that. If you were blessed by this message or you need prayer, please email us at faithworshipcenterar at gmail.com.